Hey there, I'm Sarah Duty, host of the Career Strategy Podcast. Many professionals are seeking more impact, flexibility, growth, and let's face it, getting paid what they're worth. But how do you unlock this in your career? It starts with strategy. I'm taking you behind the scenes of what's working for my career coaching clients. You'll hear strategies and actionable, yet sometimes against the grain, advice for how you can be the CEO of your career and stop dreading Mondays. Ready to level up your career? Let's get after it. This episode of the Career Strategy Podcast first aired on the Iron Hack Podcast, and it is such a great episode, we decided to share it with you here. If you've never heard of Iron Hack, go over to ironhack.com, check out their website, and hot tip, if you click over to resources and then go to free resources, there are courses and podcast episodes and just so much that you can dive into if you're looking to learn more. Without further ado, here we go. I'm Tony Tim. Very cool episode for all of you UX, UI designers out there who are in the grind of getting your portfolio out the door and getting your career started. Well, actually, I think anyone, Tim, anyone, anyone of our listeners who's looking to, you know, move into that new job they've been dreaming of. Yeah, who needs a bit of motivation? They might be in it and they might be feeling the burn a little bit. Mm. So you're about to hear a conversation between us and Sarah Duty. Sarah Duty runs the Career Strategy Lab, which is a six-month career accelerator program, which focuses on how to get people's portfolio correct, how to write a killer CV or resume. A resume, like a CV, like a, a, a same thing. Yeah, curriculum vitae. My friend. I was about to say, is it is it like a British slang? But I'm pretty sure it's a unique. Yeah, it is. Girl. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it is. CV oh, resume. is very English. Yeah, resume, resume for the internationals out there. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So everything you need to know about how to how to stand out and how to nail that job. But we talk a lot in this episode about mindset, correct. Um. You know thought patterns and stuff and some really really cool advice on um you know how you can get yourself ahead and i think that really speaks to people outside of the ux ui sphere yeah and her her herself is a is a career changer which is also good news for any people who are out there who are thinking about taking a boot camp or mm-hmm. uh pivoting on what they currently do in the world all right my name is sarah duty and where am i i currently live in salt lake city utah which if you're not familiar with that is maybe eight hours away from las vegas but i moved here because there's world-class skiing i grew up in canada skiing and after living in new york city for 13 years i thought i'm just going to take a risk move somewhere i don't know anyone and it's been wonderful, and I have to admit, I was skiing for an hour this morning before we recorded this. Um, <laughs> and what specifically do I do? You know, it's been an evolution, and I'm sure we'll get to kind of that story. But for the past 10 years, I've been running my own user experience consultancy, where I mainly focused on research and experience design. And just to completely clarify, what I mean by experience design is thinking through the user journey, customer journey, product strategy, and that whole experience. I don't do the visual design, nor do I do coding. Um, But these days, what I do, um, in 2017, I kind of fell into the world of UX career coaching, for lack of better better words. And it, it started really 
with portfolios. And now it's evolved into kind of an end-to-end career coaching service that helps people with everything related to getting that next role. And was that when the, the, the initial step with the portfolios, was that for people that didn't have any portfolio to speak of? They didn't have any experience of making portfolios or they just couldn't put their career into like a good portfolio? (laughs) Yeah. Great question. Let me tell you how this all started. So in 2017, I received a lot of emails that said something along the lines of, how do I make a portfolio? How do I create case studies? How do I show my work in an interview? And to be honest, I just tucked those all away in an email folder because there was so many of them. I didn't have time to reply to all of these. And then you know, the product manager slash researcher in me thought to myself, I'm just going to solve this problem. And my solution was a one hour lunch and learn workshop that I charged $29 or $39 for. And I sent it out to my email list. And I think within 24 or 48 hours, 85 people had signed up. And then I thought, this is too many. I have to shut this down. (laughs) Um, But I taught that workshop. And then people started to get hired. And then they told me, that was a great workshop. I wish this was four weeks long so you could you know, give me feedback, et cetera, et cetera. So um, all that to say, it really is intended for people who have uh, some experience and need to make that portfolio. So if you are starting out kind of in your educational journey with user experience, and you're not quite sure, you know, the difference between what a researcher does, what an experience designer does, the difference between UI, UX, it might be a little premature for you. But um, even for people who are what I call career switchers, like maybe you worked in journalism, or maybe you worked as a teacher, I often say to them, you know, you probably have things you have worked on in your past that could be framed as things that we do in user experience. I I once had this teacher who was working with me and they had done a bunch of research and development of curriculum and they wanted to be a user researcher. And I said to them, well, you could probably take that research project you did for the curriculum and turn it into a project for your portfolio. So I think maybe that's one thing people can keep in mind when it comes to How do I get experience if I don't have a UX job title right now? Does that make sense? Yeah, Mm. I think it speaks very heavily to a lot of our listeners too. A lot of them are either at the beginning of a bootcamp or just finished a bootcamp. So, you know, 12 weeks and a lot of them are career switches. That's a big, big part of the Einhack. Um, Of the Einhack audience are career switches, I think, by definition. So I think that's like a very, very um, interesting resource to dive into. I think we've 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 um, spoken to so many people about this whole like applicable skills thing as well, mm-hmm. um, where you know you might not think, oh, I haven't ever written code before, so I can't be a web developer or I'm not skilled. But like, there's so many adjacent skills, and being able to match those all together is is actually like it's it's a really big skill in itself. I think. Yeah, I think it's 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 kind of a, a superpower of a user experience person to begin with, right? Connecting the dots between things and start with yourself and connect the dots from your previous experience, whether you were, I don't know, like a 
criminal investigator and now you want to be a ux researcher great yeah. <laughs> i mean i thought but, you were just going to say if you, you might have been a criminal yeah no. <laughs> <laughs> well if you, you could be a criminal and make a great user experience designer i'm sure especially yeah. when it comes yeah. to stakeholder negotiations and <laughs> just fill in this questionnaire after i've robbed you <laughs> so speaking of um career switching you wanted to be a neuroscientist correct you know what i did when i was in high school yep I'm very interested to hear this this journey. How did that how did that go? Well, I'm not sure what this will say about me, but I didn't really know what to do with myself when I was in high school. And I will say I was always very creative. I was always really good at writing and science and kind of that balance of right and left brain. Um and I thought to myself, I want to have a stable job so I'll become a doctor. But I don't do well with kind of the gory side of medicine. Right. And I all, so I thought to myself, neuroscience, you know, that seems tolerable. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I okay. uh, got accepted to a really great program um, where I grew up in Ottawa, Canada. And then long story short, I ended up taking a year off and I didn't pursue it. But what interested me, I think, was the mind-body connection and like, the power of the brain and the psychology side of things, as well as the physiological side of things. Um, but that never happened, didn't play out. However, you know, looking at what I do in user experience, I think there are a lot of topics that, topics and strengths that you need to be a, a UX designer that are very adjacent to what I probably would have been doing with neuroscience. I think I probably would have fallen into more, you know, like behavior and things and not maybe a neurosurgeon, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, that's very interesting. We talk a lot about um, like this concept of imposter syndrome on the, mm -hmm. on the, um, on the podcast, especially with like, there's a lot more of our coders, but obviously the UX UI students as well have the same sort of, um, experience i think especially when they're career switching and stuff so it's always mm -hmm. really cool to talk to someone who comes from such a totally different background and to kind of explain to people or like show them that there really are so many parallel skills or reusable skills that can be can be taken into this world so mm -hmm. and now it's what's it called it's called the um, career strategy lab that you run now right yeah the career strategy lab and i would say a, a, a when I, I i'm such a analytical person and kind of like just get things done type person. And so when I created this program, you know, it really is extremely granular instructions of how to make your resume. And here's an example of a good, better, best bullet point, you know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. what I didn't focus on was kind of all the underlying issues that come up despite having the instructions on how to make a resume, how do you deal with exactly what you said, the imposter syndrome, the confidence, et cetera. And it's kind of continuing with our discussion on um, neuroscience. I spend a lot of time listening to like different Brene Brown podcasts and things. And I think it was an episode or no, she was on Dax Shepard's podcast, um, Armchair Expert. And they were talking about the power of the stories that our brains make up. And um, she said, when things happen, our brain needs to know the outcome. Otherwise, mm -hmm. we will 
for lack of a better word, kind of like spiral and fester and make things up. Like, for example, you, you know, your phone rings and you think to your, and it's your mom or something. And you think, oh no, like the worst has happened. Something is wrong with someone in the family. And like, you know, worst case scenario, catastrophizing, I guess Mm -hmm. is the right word. (laughs) And she said, we do that because our brains need to know the, the ending. So they don't have to be in this messy middle. And the point of what she was saying was our brains don't know the difference between fact or fiction. Hmm. So if you can change that story from a negative one to a positive one, it's almost like you're trying to tricking yourself into shifting from that negative to the positive. So I know it's easier said than done, but I think it's something to keep in mind because the longer you fester in negativity or get caught in comparison and things, you yeah. know, the worse it's going to be. You're absolutely right. It's crazy that you mentioned that because I just finished reading a book, actually. Um, and you couldn't tell if it was real or fake. Yeah. And I, and I was like, <laughs> Am I difference. reading this? It was on a Kindle as well. So I was just like, is this a book or what? <laughs> no, it's um, about uh, a, a woman um, who's a, <clears throat> she's a neuroscientist and she has all these concepts about how you, how your brain is basically always trying to trick you and like pull you away from your focus and what your focus mm-hmm. should be and like this whole sort of idea of currency of attention and stuff and one of the concepts she discusses in the book is very similar to what you're saying which is this whole um dropping the story this idea of dropping the story mm. where you've got to be able to sort of see what your brain is is trying to give you this like as you say it's giving you a middle and then it's trying to push you towards an end be that positive mm-hmm. or negative or however it's skewed but really what you need to be able to say is like okay i'm going to step one you know pace away from this and then realize that my brain is just coming up with something to fill the fill the void almost and then uh yeah and, and then you can kind of reassess and, and kind of see what's what what was really going on and be a little bit more um objective of of, of the situation it's always <clears throat> power of positive thought right it's almost like the same thing is like repackaged and given to us in loads of different ways like i don't know you know that really really famous book the secret right that mm-hmm. the core the core at teaching at the learning at the middle of that is that like whatever you think at that whatever you project onto the world will will come back at you and there's so many different ways where it's like positive thinking is a, such a good way to move forward it's the same kind of thing you were saying then it's about like you're exactly right that it's much easier said than done because it almost mm-hmm. feels condescending to say to someone well just think positively all the time right and ignore the bad thoughts in in your head and this will right. eventually lead to a better path. And I wish there was an easier answer, but it really is like well, hard work and positive thought, right? It's funny you mentioned this because um, at the beginning of 2020, I worked with a book coach because I was writing a book. Maybe I still am. Maybe this will be the podcast that brings the book back to life. But... <laughs> this is an exclusive. Yeah. It's coming back. And We're bringing the book if back. I do, <laughs> if I don't write the book, here it is in a tweet. No, the, <laughs> the book was really around, it, it wasn't going to be a UX book because a lot of people want me to write a UX book. And I, I don't, for whatever reason, I'm not jazzed about that. Okay. But I thought so many people can benefit from a key skill set of UX, which is context finding and context setting and, you know, communicating context to other people. And I thought to myself, what if I could teach the skill of context to like the masses (laughs) Um, and allow people to use it in a way that helps them get out of this kind of messy, catastrophizing 
spiraling. I called it spiraling. It was going to be called unspiral, but I think we tossed that out the window. <laughs> but the book was really going to be quite simple. The three steps to how you unspiral or stop catastrophizing are, it's three Ps. It's super simple. The first P is to pause. The second P is to ponder. And then the third P is to proceed. Because as you said, like, it's easy to say, oh, just be positive or, you know, don't think those negative thoughts. But I think our brains kind of need to like process those thoughts and filter out what is real, what is not. So the pause step was really all about recognizing that you're kind of careening down the catastrophe highway. And then the second step of ponder really was where UX came in. It was all about how do you kind of step back and ask yourself, are these thoughts or things that are happening, are they real things? Are they things I've made up? Are they assumptions? You know, think of interpersonal challenges that we all have. Like a lot of times we kind of make up stories about people, but if you think to yourself, is that real or is that just something, a story I've told myself? So filtering out all the real or fact, fiction, assumptions, et cetera, and then proceeding with, you know, a, a new lens that is rooted in reality and not these assumptions, et cetera, that we make up. So I don't yeah. know if that's helpful <clears throat> to people, but I, the book coach and some other people have said, I told people about the three Ps and they all get it. You need to write the book. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. I think most of my schooling life was the two Ps, procrastination followed by panic. <laughs> <laughs> so write it, write that book. That's a really, that's a really nice, that, I, that's so much further reaching and useful to the rest of your life around UX UI. It obviously fits very well into the UX like mindset, but just like you could, you could apply that to, physical, mental health, physical health, mm -hmm. physical fitness. You could do anything with that. Cleaning yeah. your home. Like what should I throw out? Pause. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I think it just goes to the point, you know, sometimes you can say be positive, et cetera, but sometimes people need the step-by-step, -step, you know, it, the three Ps, they really came from thinking about what were kind of childhood things we learned. And I grew up in Canada. I assume this kind of analogy is in other countries. But, you know, when when the fire department came to elementary school and taught us about fires, we learned stop, drop, and roll. And mm -hmm. it's really easy to remember, oh my gosh, there's a fire. I need to stop, drop, and roll. So I thought these three Ps, it's so easy to remember. And even if you remember one of them, you're still better off than if you had just kept catastrophizing. Yeah, exactly <laughs> sure. right. Yeah. The structure, the, these structural things are, are super useful. I think that's a I think it's even important when you're in a um, and you're in a positive place a mindset as well because sometimes <clears throat> I'm sure it's the same with UX. But if I'm coding and I feel like I'm in a flow, it doesn't even really matter if I'm going in the good direction. It's just like, oh, this is actually really flowing. I haven't had to Google anything for ages. Like I feel like I'm really improved at this. Blah blah blah. And then you actually look back what you've written and you're like, ah, this is fine, but it's not like. This isn't going to go to production, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, that's the power of habit. You're talking, so like you have these structural things, let's say we take the three yeah. Ps. The, the reason the power of habit's important after that is because then to can, like mantracize it, you know, and then continue mm -hmm. to keep these positive mindsets, not just set, like proceed and then never look back. You always have to yeah, continue yeah, yeah, to yeah. like build these positive thought patterns. So. Yeah, I think it's, it's a really interesting discussion because I think that um, I'm definitely seeing it more and more with people that I like admire in the space that they are definitely the ones who are like, 
pondering or like really sitting on things mm. for a while before thinking, okay, this is what we should do. You know, or like this is the decision we should make or this is how we should move forward. Um, and I think because everything is so much more hectic and busy and like you're expected to be able, as you say, with the context, you're expected to context switch instantly all the time. It means that you sometimes just like, you get a message from someone, you're like, yeah, I can do that. Mm. But really you should be thinking, okay, let's just wait a sec and then we can, you know, ponder. Yeah. <laughs> and then move forward so there's a really great TED talk. I don't know if you've uh, watched it, but it's called Your Brain on Improv. And it's by a, I believe he's a neuroscientist. He's definitely a neurosurgeon. His name is Dr. Charles Lim, L-I-M-B. But he studies the brains of people as it relates to creativity. And he did this study um, where he put jazz musicians inside uh, an fMRI machine, which I don't know how that's different than MRI, but I'm sure those interested can Google it. Yeah. But <laughs> what he found is that he wanted to understand the relationship between like flow and creativity. And he found that when these musicians were inside the MRI machine first, they played um, like classical music from sheet music, Bach or Beethoven, something like that. And then they were asked to improvise. And when they were improvising, that part of their brain that um, is responsible for improvisation was lighting up. And the part of their brain that was responsible for uh, negative self-talk, um, self criticism, I forget the exact word, but that part of the brain, like the volume was decreasing on that part of the brain, so to mm. speak. So back to imposter syndrome and flow, according to his research, if you can get into that state of flow, you then can help decrease the volume on that negative self-talk, et cetera. So I think a key takeaway for people is try and spend less time comparing comparing yourself to other people and getting caught in all that trap all those traps and just like dive in and work on your resume work on your portfolio code that project and like you said even if it's wrong who cares you're gonna come out of it like <laughs> yeah. feeling better and you know probably having a lot of learnings even though what you made maybe isn't perfect i i think it could i think there's a discussion to be had about mental health and in this industry for sure yeah, for sure. That's really, really insightful, actually. You would love the, the TED Talk, though. You have to watch it. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'm gonna, I, was, I was trying to silently yeah. type they, it up. They, like, uh, they have footage of these jazz musicians inside this machine, and they rigged up a keyboard to their legs, and they're like laying there playing the keyboard. It's amazing. <laughs> Jeez, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, you, that, you talked about this a few times, though, Tim. I think it's kind of the same topic, this state of, like, deep concentration, right? Yeah. And, like, yeah. it's context switching and stuff. And I think that, mm -hmm. like, it kind of goes hand in hand with confidence along the way. You're focusing for so long. you you. Yeah. It's really hard to stop and see how far along you've come in your journey, like, to stop and look back and see. And I'm speaking to a friend of mine who's very recently graduated, and uh, you always find yourself giving like ad hoc pep talks to people who are brand new looking for a job in the industry and stuff. And it's like, trust me, I still don't know these things. But if you spoke, if you spoke to, you know, just a very simple command, like NPM install three, four months ago, you have no idea what that even meant. And now that's like a very obvious, easy thing to you. 
So yeah. it's you just it, you just have to kind of focus on where you are and kind of shut out this this you know self doubt. But that I mean mm-hmm. that's that must be something that you cover on the course because um, that is one of the hardest things to do is like is like giving yourself those little pep talks as you're going along and actually saying taking stock because I, I was doing exactly that this year and I was like so you know start of the year kind of be putting together like a list of things that I want to achieve at work. And I, the first instant, the first thought in my head, and I'm a, I would say that I'm a confident person. The first thought I had in my head, I was like, what have I even learned? Like, what do I want to learn? Mm-hmm. And then you look at it and it's like, okay, that's, that was ridiculous because there's so much that I've learned in the last um, year. And I think that, yeah, just being able to take stock and actually like, I mean, especially if you're a, a newbie and you're like, okay, I've got a, I've got an empty portfolio and I want to start somewhere. Yeah. Just, just being able to do that is, is really difficult. I think. Do you know what I like to do to, to reassure myself? I explain it to my mum. And she has no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I'm like, great. Trust me, it's very, com- very complicated, mom. Don't worry too much about it. She's like, okay, Dan, that's super great. Proud of you. <laughs> I, think that, I think that brings up an interesting point, though, because, you know, in the, I use the word tech industry as kind of a large umbrella there, but I think there's this kind of obsession with continuing to stay up with the quote trends and latest things and new software and this and that. And I think that creates a lot of stress for people either coming into the industry or on the other side of it. I see this quite often. People who've been working in at least the UX industry for 10, 12, 15 years, and they all of a sudden maybe want to switch jobs, but then feel unqualified because they don't know how to use Figma and this and that and know all about Web3 and whatever else, you know? Yeah, yeah, And I think that one of the first things we do with people when they join Career Strategy Lab is, you know, we don't jump right into make your resume, make your portfolio, et cetera, because our whole kind of approach is we want you to treat your career like a product. And as if you were designing a product, if you didn't have a product roadmap, Well, guess what's going to happen when you write the code or design the thing? It's not going to be right. (laughs) So the first thing we do with people in Career Strategy Lab is have them do um, what we call a career roadmap. And it's kind of a miniature user research project on themselves. And they do things like look back in their career, whether it's a UX career or a teaching career, journalism, whatever, and kind of evaluate when was I really fulfilled? When was I really not fulfilled? Where did I feel like I was using my strengths? I was not being used. And they go through and create this roadmap. And a lot of the feedback, and I was not anticipating this, but a lot of the feedback people give is that exercise was the best part of this program. Sure, I got a resume, portfolio, et cetera. But through that exercise of creating a roadmap, they gain a ton of confidence because Half of it is just remembering things you've done in the past, you know? Um, (laughs) And one of the things they do is um, go and ask other people from their past um, to answer questions about themselves. Theory being that we probably all have strengths that we are blind to, but someone else thinks of us and thinks, oh, they're so good at X, Y, and Z. And a lot of people are able to uncover strengths that maybe they dismissed or just were totally oblivious to. So I think it's really important to pause and, (laughs) you know, not be rushing on to the latest trend that we saw someone say we have to learn on Twitter, but 
constantly take stock of what we've done and, and how far we've come. It's like you said, our brains are more comfortable when they know the outcome. And then yeah. we went on to talk about how having structure helps helps you process that. And this is, I think, it kind of echoes the same thing. This is if you plan your your career out ahead of you, that's a far more comforting thing than just feeling lost in the you know, in the endless changing world of tech, I think. So how, um, how, how, how far forward are people able to cast? Are they like, do they get to like 15 years or 20 years or five years or? Um, I, it kind of depends on the person. I really encourage them when it gets to kind of goal setting and things and kind of the actual roadmap, I encourage them to think, you know, what job do you want to have three years from now so that, you can be thinking about the skills you need to learn or acquire now to prepare you for that role. And that might mean you are going to take a certain type of role two months from now so you can be ready for that role three years from now. But yeah. I've seen some people like make a mural board that's, I mean, so elaborate. It depends on, <laughs> <laughs> depends on yeah. how much time they have too, I think. Yeah. Yeah. My key retirement goal is. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, someone said in 10 years, I hope to be retired. Well, let's make that happen. <laughs> I think five years is a good, a good place to start, but anything after yeah. like two or three years is speculation and hope, right? Or, you know, slightly yeah. more out of your, the further down the line it goes, the less and less well, certain it is, right? You think five years is a long time, but I was saying to a friend of mine the other day, you know, I've been doing this very focused work on UX careers for five years and it kind of has gone by really fast. And I think what's another five years, you know? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I feel the same actually. I, I can't believe, um, I was so used to saying that I did my boot camp a year ago, right through last year. And now it's ticked over to the next year and it was two years ago. And it's been a blur. Like, I think it's probably pandemic induced slightly as well. But like, right. I think when you're really head down, mm -hmm. um, focusing, focusing, focusing on something, even if you think you're not focusing in the moment, you know, you think oh, I could have, I could have worked harder that week or I could have done more. But then when you actually do take stock and you look back and you're sure you're the same, it's crazy how like, um, you know, in the, in the thick of it, you, you can get, and especially when it's a new skill or something you're trying to work on to improve. Um, and then the time just like stretches and squashes and next thing you know, it's five years down the line, as you say, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. Well, that last thing you just said, I think is the most important bit, even if it's a new skill, because mm. people are like, okay, this is like really hard and really like grinding through this new skill, but that five years is going to pass whether you learn the new skill or not. So you might as well have the new skill at the end of the five years, yeah. right? Have you, have you seen things change like during uh, pre and post pandemic or during pandemic for jobs and things, or has it stayed pretty much the same? Um, I would say that I think a lot more people seem to be considering a change of job, either obviously coming into user experience industry, but even switching jobs if they were already working in user experience. I think a lot of it could be stemming from some companies not doing that great of a job when it came to the rapid switch to remote work yeah. and the cultural issues that came up. I think that's part of it. I think other people kind of maybe reevaluated some of their personal life values too, mm. and realized, you know what, I want to be able to work from anywhere. I want to travel or in the future, you know, and yeah. have that flexibility yeah. or have, have a flexible work schedule so I can 
maybe do my work in the evening because during the daytime I'm keeping my family together or something, you know? So I think it's made a lot of people quite inquisitive. Um, inquisitive, that's not the right word. Introspective. Introspective. But I think in terms of hiring, I think I haven't seen anything slow down at all. Um, and a lot of people ask, you know, has the interview process changed? And I mean, it not really other than mm. it's remote, you know, I don't think there, <laughs> there's been any massive radical shifts in how you should prepare for interviews. I think some people, I think, uh, kind of get self-conscious or um, face challenges when it comes to video interviewing because they feel like they don't know how to read the room and the other person. And there isn't always that, that feedback. So yeah. I think that's kind of a, a, a challenge. And my advice to people is figure out how to maybe build some rapport in the first three minutes. And one of the things I say is if you know who will be interviewing you, or even if you don't know who it is, but obviously, you know, you know, the company, like go in with a quick question about the company or you Googled the, not Googled, you looked on LinkedIn for the person interviewing you and noticed they also went to the same school or grew up in the same town or something. Just try and find like an icebreaker thing to at yeah. least, you know, find some, have a human moment, you know? I can attest to that. I, I, I did that twice today. Oh, I, yeah? I have, I interviewed random CTOs and people who come to our company all the time. And I learned that very quickly, that if I spend a small amount of time finding something outside of what's your job title and, and what are we talking about today, the mm -hmm. conversation is much, much easier. Mm. You know, yeah. and I found a guy today who is in Vilnius in, in Lithuania. And I happen to know someone who just graduated the boot camp from Lithuania. So there's a very easy Great. connection there. So it was, you're exactly, exactly right. That's a, a, a key, key golden thing for anyone who's talking. Find yeah. something human and just have like just a few minutes to talk about something yeah. outside of the topic. Yep. Because I guess you've got to, you've got to impose that like slight elevator chat that you'd have you know, if you, if someone, if you went for an interview somewhere and they picked you up at the reception, you've got to have that tiny bit of like, how's it going? The weather or like traffic. Oh, yeah, it's just weather. that tiny bit of like icebreakering yeah. uh, that, that you just don't get with a video call. And I think it's really important to inject it back in because it's so mm. easy just to be like, okay, we're starting now. And it, it's just yep. not very human, is it? No, it, it feels like some conveyor belt robotic experience. And, you know, all it takes is literally two or three minutes, go on someone's LinkedIn profile and just find some common grounds. Like, obviously, you know, maybe don't go creep their personal Instagram and like mention <laughs> their place. vacation or something, you know, I think, yeah. but I think it's important to mention that because I think some people might think that's okay. And I think there's this, there's, there's this element of just basic human connection or social norms that I think I've kind of been lost. And if we could bring them back, that would make everyone's lives a lot yeah. less awkward and um, less robotic too, like you said. Well, mm. you're a big advocate of online communities and, and networking. Do you think that in-person networking, especially now post-pandemic, do you think it's dead? Do you think it still has a place or do you think that it will just come back around or do you think they just exist in two different spaces? It's funny you ask that because this summer I – was able to speak at uh, the Front Conference in Zurich in person. So they were going to okay. do it in 2020, called it off, and then decided to go for it in 
what year was that? 2021. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, it was the first time I'd been with, you know, people or any industry thing. And this topic kind of came up quite a bit. And it was so nice to be with other people and have those human moments, exactly what we were saying, you know, as we were walking to, you know, the venue or, you know, the speakers were at this hotel and maybe we rode the tram together or something and just get to know people on a, on a human level. And I think that's, it's, it's easy. I think it's easier in person. Um, I think it can be achieved online. I think it just has to be more intentional and a little bit more effort, you know, but I don't, I don't think, I don't think, um, it's going away. Good. I hope not. It's, I, I mean, I, I think I'm speaking for everyone here. This is no way a unique perspective, but I just hope we can, uh, I hope it isn't. I much, much prefer everything in person. Even things like learning the boot camp had to go online last year. Yes. And it was a very vastly different experience. Mm-hmm. So. Well, especially with, with what we do, whether you're designing or researching or coding or anything. I mean, there's just something to be said for those over-the-shoulder interactions where someone you know, points out something or has the opportunity to kind of interject in, in real time. I think it's despite all, you know, mural and Miro and all the whiteboarding tools and et cetera. I mean, I just think there's something lost that we haven't cracked the code on. Having, having having said that though, are there any online communities that you recommend to your students? Anything we can take for hours? Yeah, I I have some. I made a little list, but I would say with a caveat, I think you have to be really intentional about which communities you join and why you are joining them and how much time you spend in them. Because I see a lot of people, even people in my career strategy lab program, wasting so much time on LinkedIn. Like I see the comments they leave on LinkedIn things on the memes. And I just want to say to them, like, why aren't you working on your resume? Like this stupid meme <laughs> yeah. is not adding to your goals. <laughs> well, what's your language? <laughs> this stupid meme is doing a lot for humanity. <laughs> <laughs> it is actually, I'm not a complete robot, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think it, it I think it's, there's probably like a a therapeutic aspect to, you know, the communities, but I think you have to be very cautious of not, um, I, I have this phrase, false sense of progress activity, FSP Mm. activities, false sense of progress activities. And it is when you are spending time, if time is a currency, you're spending time on things, but then after that 40 minutes or two hours or whatever, how did that actually contribute to your goal or your life, you know? And Mm. so, okay, back to the question, be intentional about what communities you join in the time you spend. But um, a couple that I wrote down, um, Jared Spool has a great one called the leaders of awesomeness. It is a UX community, but um, (laughs) it is, it's a very bold name, but I've heard really great things about it. I, um, Personally, I'm not in there, but that's a good one. Um, Interaction Design Association. Um, They obviously are an association, do events and things, and they have various, uh, I don't know if they're localized communities, but definitely Google them. 
Um, and then another one I'm a huge fan of is Tech Ladies. HireTechLadies.com is a job board and an online community. Mm-hmm. They just they do a great job of vetting companies uh, that make it to their job board, and I think that's really important these days because yeah. there are so many not so great job descriptions or companies that just know they need UX, but they don't really know what that actually means. And so they're really trying to make a dent in um, jobs. And I'm actually not sure if you could just go to their website and see the jobs or if you have to log in, but um, everyone will have to find out. (laughs) What was that? Ladies (laughs) ladies in tech? What tech ladies? What was it called? Uh, Tech ladies. The URL is, the URL is, Higher tech ladies. Okay. Yeah. But um, they're also really active on Twitter and Instagram too, and would be great for anyone, not just ladies. All right. Yeah. To speak to that caveat, by the way, I've got a little tip um, mm-hmm. about that, about wasting time. It just to try and put aside how morbid it is. A friend sent me this. It's a life clock, and it you put in your age and where you're born, and it gives you the weeks and how much percentage, like about ten decimal points of your life has huh. passed. And if you can get past the fact how morbid that is, it's very motivating. I'm surprisingly addicted to checking it, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm at this point now, and I have that this moment's much left. close yeah. to death. Yeah, I don't find I, it as like a death coming thing. I see it as like a you know an enjoy every moment kind of. It's a reminder. Aspect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. funny. It's funny you said that because I hosted a virtual conference uh, in November, and one of the talks, and I'll forget the number now, but it had the number of hours that you will spend at work during your life. And yes, I did some loose math, you know, to yeah. come up with this number. But, you know, it equates to, I think it was close to a third of your life. So, yeah, it's when if you that's reframe, not a reason to find something you love and work at things now, then I don't know what is. I think yeah. it's exactly, you know. exactly. But um, on, on the topic of, of that, like, uh, you know, being part of communities and, and kind of like making the most of things um, uh, and being very vocal, I, I feel like there's a kind of a, a trend at the moment with the conversations that we've had about um, being very vocal in these communities or kind of like, um, basically being a bit more um, extroverted about the way that you go about things. Mm. Um, but I think tech in general can, can often kind of um, uh, attract people who are more introverted. Do you, do you think that it's uh, more difficult for, for those people who are, are that way skewed to make the noise that they need to, to, to get ahead? Or um, do, you think that, um, do you think that it's, it's, a, it's, a play, it's an even playing field? I think... It's an even playing field. And I say that <laughs> even though people will not believe this, I consider myself like quite an introvert. Maybe I'm an ambivert. I think I come across as an extrovert because um, I'm good at talking, <laughs> but I'm only good at talking because I've practiced. And fun fact, when I was in university, there was a required public speaking class and I forget how I was able to achieve this, but I got out of taking the public speaking class because <laughs> wow. I did not like it so much. <laughs> wow. But then I got hired into the real world and I realized, oh, I have to speak in meetings and you know, I better get my act together and get comfortable speaking. So I think it's even, and I think if people have the idea or belief that being an introvert may hold them back. I think that they just have to remind themselves that 
you know, the people you see on YouTube or Twitter or Instagram or being loud, however they're being loud, like they're just standing out because they're loud. There's plenty of introverted people out there doing great work and that just aren't self-promoting night and day. So mm. I, I think it really, I think it's more about confidence and not about mm. how vocal or how much you sell yourself and and things like that. Yeah, because I guess people can smell that kind of uh, just filling the void with mm -hmm. being um, effervescent the mile off, can't they really? So yeah, confidence is a very, very important element. Well, I mean, there's a difference, right, between like blind, loud, loudest person in the room and like someone saying something of, of quality, right? And I think yeah, but, you can very think... quickly. I do think that like the way that things are being skewed a little bit, like more and more so with the way that um, social platforms are, are being more divisive by nature, like, you know, even YouTube, for example, like get rid of the dislike button. It just basically is, it's, it kind of clickbaits a lot of stuff where, you know, you've got to sift through it a lot more, I think. It used days. to just be a straight numbers game, right? If someone had like the most followers somewhere, you could pretty well, much well judge correctly that they would have some level of content worth watching nowadays you're right it's like it's really like who marketed themselves in the right place at the right time for this thing to be you know worth watching you have to sift through the endless amounts of quality content to find the gold now or mm. or get through the rubbish i think it's, it's becoming more and more complicated well and and on that topic of social media especially as it pertains to our industry i think that there is a belief. And I have heard from people in Career Strategy Lab that some UX education programs encourage people to document their learning UX journey, which I can only assume is why we see so many Instagram accounts and YouTube channels and Medium uh, accounts. And one UX bootcamp, which I won't call out, um, has strongly encourages, I'm not sure if they require, but uh, strongly encourages people to be writing articles as a way to stand out in order to still get access to career services. And that then, it, it brings up two issues. It means that people are just writing articles to tick a box to get help finding a job. And then the quality of those articles are probably not that great, but people see it's on Medium and assume it's the truth, right? Like the X laws of UX of January 13th. <laughs> but the other, I think, thing to think about is you could argue, well, isn't it important to have a presence on social media so people can find me and I'll get, it's almost like this attitude of someone's going to discover me and hire me. And I think, yeah, that's possible. I've definitely had people reach out to me because of uh, they found my website or articles I wrote or things like that. But I think if you're doing it as a job search strategy, I think your time is better spent working on your package of career materials, your resume, portfolio, LinkedIn, et cetera, and then using that time to like proactively hunt down the roles that are probably right for you and make make authentic connections with people at those companies. So that's my little rant about that, but I just. <laughs> Good rant. It's a rant. It, it, it makes me a little sad to think about the time that people put into 
their YouTube videos and their Instagrams and their articles and things like that. I just often I think, what's the ROI of yeah, that? Yeah, I know for exactly a lot what you mean. People who are in the beginning stages of their career. Like, do I have an Instagram? Do I tweet? Yeah, but like, it's not because I'm trying to get cl- like someone to hire me at their company. It's because. Yeah very strategic marketing decision. Yeah. It's yeah, like yeah. when you see like people trying to build a music career by having a TikTok following. So why don't you just yeah. write really good music and then yes. have a TikTok down the line? How's that how it's supposed to start? It's a very weird cycle nowadays that I find. It's like you're a tiny, tiny goldfish in a massive, massive ocean. And yeah. you may as well just like go directly to the companies, write that cold email to that person. Don't try and get discovered for lack of the, the problem yeah, is it's yeah. possible it does happen that's the problem that's the reason people keep doing it because oh someone won the jackpot so why not me and it's like yeah. a very strange it's sh- it shouldn't be your only strategy i think is what i'm right. saying like yeah. you should approach it with a researcher mindset diversify see which which activities garner results and then put more effort into those mm-hmm. treat yourself like a product I can't right. find a job anywhere. I've got an Instagram account and that's all. Yeah. Nothing's happened. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next for you, Sarah? What's next for um, the Strategy Lab? What's going on? What is next? Great question. So um, I just hired two people, which is amazing. Tim and uh, I. Kind of- <laughs> <laughs> I hired um, two uh career coaches to work with me inside this program. And now that they are on board, it kind of frees me up to focus on the next uh, chapter, I guess, of Career Strategy Lab, which is how can I make a dent in the world of UX hiring? Because there's two problems. There's many problems. There's the candidate side of hiring, right? And then there's the company side of things. So Career Strategy Lab is helping the candidates because they have better quality resumes, portfolios, they are aware of their goals and past success and things like that. Now I want to focus on the companies and fix problems such as not so great great job descriptions, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, their hiring processes, etc. So I am not entirely sure what that looks like, but that is my main focus for this year so that I can take all these people who are in Career Strategy Lab and play matchmaker with companies that have higher UX maturity and, you know, candidates are going to go there and not realize, oh, this is a kind of dead end. So that's what I'm really excited about because it's been a long road to fix that candidate side. And now if I can close the loop with the hiring, I think it'll be really powerful and Mm -hmm. just great to kind of make a difference in the industry. Uh, are you local? I mean, we have campuses in, in North America and South America as well, but is it um, is the Career Strategy Lab like a global Oh, uh, good question. Yeah. yeah, so it's all it's all online. It's all digital, all remote. We have people literally from all over the world. We've had people get hired the past couple of weeks in Spain, Greece, Canada, USA, uh, UK probably others that I'm forgetting. Um, But yeah, people come into this program from all over the world because a lot of people say, well, like, isn't a resume different in this country or that country? And I mean, maybe there's nuance, but Mm. at the end of the day, like the ability to articulate your work 
write a detailed case study, write a solid resume, identify your goals, strengths, et cetera, like all of these things, it applies to anyone in the world. It also applies to whether you are um, a UX writer, a researcher, a designer, a product strategist, a product manager, a web designer. I mean, some people have said I should just kind of DUX career strategy lab and make it so like accountants could take it or something. And that is a little scary to me because I feel like it's opening floodgates. I'm not ready to open. <laughs> no one wants to but... open the accountancy floodgate. <laughs> <laughs> so it, you know, it, but that comment from people, it, it's true. I mean, sure, portfolio is somewhat specific to our industry, but, you know, you could be. I don't know, like a florist and have a portfolio. I'm not saying they all need to have portfolios, but no, but start, start where you are, right? Start where you are and see how, yeah, that sounds great. Well, fantastic. So any of our listeners out there, any students who are, it doesn't matter where you are, if you're about to start your um, iron hack journey, maybe you just finished it. Maybe you finished a year ago and you're in the middle of building your um, portfolio, the career strategy lab, take a look. Yeah, we have iron hack people in career strategy labs. So um, Career Foundry, General Assembly, Design Lab, I mean, Springboard. We have people from everywhere in here. All right. There you go. Awesome. Fantastic. So, like I said, like we said at the beginning, gold, some golden information. In there. I was making notes during that. I'm going to apply yeah. that stuff. I think the, for- the forecasting thing, I-, I actually haven't done it since I... I thought exactly the same thing. I have not forecasted. Like I haven't done a, I am literally a product manager and I, I make like product roadmaps. It's like the first thing I do whenever I'm given a new, a new task, uh, a, you know, a new, a new um, project. And I don't know why I haven't done it to myself yet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't done it since I've, since I've acquired the coding skills. I feel like I've made no plan. It's just been a bit of blind mm blind panic almost of just getting well, everything sorted that's a big takeaway from me but a lot of the stuff we spoke about in today's episode um i mean anyone who listens to the podcast knows that i'm such a an advocate for this like mindset and just enforcing mindset over and over again because i think that like we touched on in that episode it's like easy to say but i don't know man i feel like i've just been forcing myself through it for so long that now it is easy for me to say and that's the mm. only advice i can give to anyone so i think this episode was a testimony to that Thanks for listening to the Career Strategy Podcast. Make sure to follow me, Sarah Duty, on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or LinkedIn. If anything in today's episode resonated with you, I'd love to hear about it. Tag me on social media or send me a DM. And lastly, if you found this episode helpful, I'd really appreciate it if you could share it with a friend or give us a quick rating on Spotify or review on Apple Podcasts. Catch you later.